Remember that discomfort of investing time into something even though there were no guarantees? Remember that same feeling, emerging when wanting to say, I love you, but you didn't want to say it first, or you weren't sure if the other side would reciprocate? Here's the start of season two. My name is Ivana. I am the host and producer of A Writer's Journey podcast, which initially was going to be a beginner writer's resource, hence the name of the podcast, but turned out to be a series of episodes that fall under self-help for a range of people problems, including individual growth to relationships. I'm a big supporter of self-growth and improvement. It's been a driver of everything that I do. I also happen to be a fan of self-help books, podcasts, and TED Talks, where I get a lot of inspiration for my work. If you have not checked out season one, it's 10 episodes, each episode about five to 10 minutes long. In my episodes, I ask questions and draw in expertise from public speakers and authors in hopes to get my audience thinking about them. Back to the episode. When do you become vulnerable? I become vulnerable when I make these episodes and blog posts. I face fear of people not wanting to listen or read what I have to say. There's that inner critic that knocks on my door every now and then to tell me that my work isn't good enough for sharing. Being creative forces one to be vulnerable, and Brene Brown, a researcher who has been studying vulnerability for 12 years, talks about these pros and cons of vulnerability. It's the root of shame, fear, and struggle for worthiness, but it's also where creativity, love, happiness, and belonging arises. In the next segment, I'm going to bring onto the show my partner in crime, Kevin, someone who I often share my darkest and deepest secrets with, and we're going to talk about our perspectives on vulnerability. Thanks for coming onto the show. Happy to be here. So with you, I've grown comfortable telling you, look, this is not going well for me, or like this happened and I feel guilty, but there's some part of me still struggling to say this. Look, I'm not perfect. And that's okay. I'm still worthy, even though I feel guilty, which seems different than checking in to validate my feelings. In both scenarios, it's very liberating to be sharing, but it's liberating for different reasons. Am I sharing because I'm hoping to justify my feelings, or am I hoping to connect with you? It's hard to say because I think both things end up happening, and when that happens, whatever the reason was, doesn't seem to matter anymore. How does this make me a stronger individual? Every time after I find myself revealing some cause of shame, I get the chance to say, oh wait, that wasn't bad. I'm still loved after making mistakes. That reassures me that I can keep being creative and taking risks and doing things that themselves are prone to vulnerability. And that if I were to fail, I know to dust myself off and be willing to try again. So I think vulnerability builds stronger relationships, but I think vulnerability makes us stronger as individuals as well, and that it allows us to practice being okay with our weaknesses and mistakes, and that at the end of the day, we still love ourselves. What do you think, Kevin? Absolutely. Having a safe space to express ourselves, our true selves, not just the sanitized version of ourselves that we share with others when we initially meet them, is crucial to a healthy relationship over the long term. We want to find someone who loves us for who we really are, but if we don't reveal who we really are, we're never going to find that person. You know what I've realized? You don't particularly like talking about your vulnerabilities. Why is that? And it's not just you. I've seen this in other guys too. Do you think there's something there that's true of guys and vulnerabilities? I don't know if anyone particularly likes talking about vulnerabilities. Talking about vulnerabilities makes me feel like I'm six years old again, and I need to be taken care of, and I'm unable to handle things myself. There's power in addressing vulnerabilities. Now, I'm not saying that they should just be ignored, but I, I don't especially like talking about them. 
I feel like talking about vulnerabilities can just be a waste of time where there's a circle of shared misery, but not really any follow-up of you know, doing something to fix weaknesses. If I sense a weakness in my skill set, I have this urge to research what I can and change something about my actions to address whatever weakness it was moving forward. But to address the question about whether this attitude is prevalent among guys, I don't have any empirical data backing this up. But I could see this attitude being affected by the mantra of, you know, boys don't cry that we have in our society, where you know, men are raised to bottle up our feelings and put up this stoic you know, facade. We're sharing our feelings of self-doubt and fear are put down by phrases like, you know, don't be such a girl about it. So yeah, I could definitely see that. When you talk about feeling six years old again, when talking about vulnerabilities, that reminds me of what Brene Brown brings up in her TED Talk that shame and fear are the core issues of being vulnerable, assuming that it's necessary to share our problems and be vulnerable before addressing any kind of solution for them. Do you think being vulnerable is still a prevalent state that people have to go through? I think there are two concerns here. One is that a person might not have the capacity or skill set to fulfill some kind of goal, you know, whatever that goal or skill set is. That can be addressed through further practice and research, I think. Now, the other is the interpersonal connection between the people involved. You know, I think this is what Brene Brown was getting at with sharing our vulnerabilities. You know, our relationship isn't going to improve through how much research I do or you know, what action plans I, I put into place. Our relationship improves if I show you where I'm coming from and you understand or agree with that. You know, that requires me to have the just take the initial step of sharing my thoughts with you regardless of how embarrassing or scary that is. At the same time, there's a very real risk that you won't agree or understand where I'm coming from. That's completely fair. If I'm coming from a place of racism or sexism or classism, I probably deserve it. Or if I'm coming from a place of laziness, selfishness, or greed, I probably deserve that too. But there are motivations within each of us that aren't always angelic, and it's shameful to bring those up even if we all experience these things. You know, if not shameful, there are at least things that might hurt the relationship moving forward. I agree that an initial step can be scary, and that's exactly why being vulnerable isn't easy. And of course, if someone is coming from a discriminatory standpoint, hopefully there's no confirmation from another party. That last point you make on shame reminds me of how Brene Brown distinguishes shame from guilt. She says that shame is a state that you take where you feel crappy about yourself, but guilt is when you feel crappy about what you did. Do you think these two are clearly defined? Point taken on the difference between shame and guilt, I guess I feel ashamed of myself for having certain motivations at certain times, and I feel guilty for acting on those motivations. You bring up an interesting point that I want to take further. Is feeling guilty about our thoughts different than feeling ashamed for our thinking? Can we still love ourselves for having motivations that we don't want? I think Brene says it boils down to whether we believe we are worthy of love and belonging. I personally have trouble with this. Yeah, I think in a vacuum, the idea that everyone is worthy of love and belonging is admirable. But I have trouble applying that with myself. I want to earn that worth. I don't want to feel someone like I'm someone to be pity-loved. I want to be loved because I'm awesome. And to be awesome, I feel like I need to do awesome things, or have done awesome things. 
That makes sense. But I guess where I get worried is what if one day you can't do awesome things? There's some barrier that prevents you from doing stuff. Wouldn't that potentially bring a lot of harm to yourself because you can't fulfill your goal to be awesome? Yeah, I think that'd bring a lot of sorrow to my life, at least with my current mindset. I know that day is coming, but that day isn't here yet. I, I want to do awesome things while I'm healthy and capable now. I think I'll cross that bridge when I get to it in the future, when eating my bowl of oatmeal in the morning is the most strenuous activity I can muster. You're certainly someone with a lot of drive. I guess I was thinking of mental health patients or like physically disabled paraplegics. There are people who won't be able to run anymore because they no longer have access to their legs. There are people who suffer from depression and motivation is the one thing they don't have, but need to have to do awesome things. What can you say to those people? Yeah, the mindset that I have now is very tied to my mental and physical well-being. Let's break this down to two parts. In terms of physical well-being, I don't think physical ability has to prevent you from doing awesome things, period. It might prevent you from doing a certain subset of awesome things, but there are so many awesome things in the world. For example, you know, something I think is awesome is working with startups who can't afford legal assistance at the startup clinic at Berkeley Law. That is what I do for a living. There might come a time when I can't do that anymore, but that doesn't cut me off from the universe of other awesome things out there. Now in terms of mental well-being, that's a little tougher. Um, mental capacity is our conduit to making things happen in this world. This conversation that we're having revolves around this feeling of self-efficacy, that we are in control of our destiny and that we can make changes that we're unhappy about. And losing mental capacity is going to be is going to make a bigger dent in terms of what awesome things we're capable of doing in the future. But it still might not be the end of the world, it just might mean that we'll need some more help getting there. I'm glad to hear that you're doing something that you find awesome. And generally though, I think we have to be careful on how we define awesome and make sure we stay open-minded to the opportunities out there. And I definitely think that a loss in motivation makes things more complicated. So to all those who are depressed, please seek professional help. We're going to wrap it up. Let's end the episode with some questions and some personal advice for our audience. Do you think you do awesome things because you're loved or do you do it to feel loved? And is vulnerability something you would like to embrace? Why or why not? And how do you know when it's safe to share vulnerabilities? I try to do awesome things because I feel worthy of doing awesome things. But there have been moments when I do awesome things to feel loved, especially so when I was younger and less confident in my abilities. The truth is that there are going to be times when you can't do awesome things, but we should keep loving ourselves despite temporary non-awesomeness. If we only love ourselves when we're doing something awesome, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster, and that can't be good for anyone. I think vulnerability is something that we should embrace, especially with people who you want to take a risk on or those you love. Vulnerability is where meaningful connections can be made, and I think I'm willing to sacrifice losing out if I could potentially build a really great relationship with someone. What last pieces of advice would you like to share with our audience? Yeah, anytime you choose to share your vulnerabilities, there's going to be the risk that the person will judge you for them. And I'm thinking back to when we first started dating. I'm not sure I have a great answer to share. I think I just figured that if you're going to judge me, then so be it. In the case of finding a romantic partner, my thinking was that 
and there's no way I can keep up a mask for the rest of my life, so I might as well show my true colors early on so that both of us can decide sooner rather than later whether we really get along well. I'm Ivana, and I'll be back soon with more adventures from A Writer's Journey.